Disney Hercules is a himbo in every sense of the word. And it's like of all of the Greek myth characters, you're like, this one? Are you sure? He's murdered like a lot of people. everybody, and welcome back to Miss Shelved, your bi-weekly dose of bookstore love. I'm your host, Nicole Brinkley, so excited to be back with you for another episode. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Every two weeks, I introduce you to an independent bookseller in conversation with an author they love. This week's bookseller is Catherine Nazaro. Yes, hello. I'm Catherine Nazaro. I'm the manager at Porter Square Books Boston Edition, which is a new bookstore in Boston's Seaport District. Those of you who love TikTok will recognize today's author. It is the wonderful Katie Robert. Hi, I am Katie Robert. I am the author of the Dark Olympus series, as well as a bunch of other books, but I specialize in romantic retellings of various myths and fairy tales. Settle in as these two talk about everything to do with reimaginings, from where you get source material and how correct it may be, to just how sexy they can be. Wonderful. I will give the listeners my credentials, which are besides being a big fan of retellings, I wrote my thesis on retellings of the Iliad specifically and looked at about 50,000 versions of it and have strong feelings on everything. That is so cool. Like, I will admit that I grew up with myths, of course, like everybody. And so I have strong opinions about the various myths and characters, but it's not influenced by that depth of research and it that's so fascinating (laughs) thank you yeah it was uh super exciting to do because I basically took a class with a professor who like did retellings I was like I want to do more about this and he was like great what if we forced the school to buy you and I'm not exaggerating now 13 different versions of the Iliad and you look at those and I now have collected more versions of the Iliad which just live in my house honestly goals and that kind of dovetails nicely with like one of the biggest or the strongest feelings people have about my Dark Olympus series is that it's not quote-unquote correct or it's not like an accurate reflection of the myths which the fact that you were able to have your college buy that many versions you know justifies in my head like yes there are so many versions of these various myths like depending on where you're looking See, I would have thought that the feeling most people have about your books are, wow, that's super hot, actually. <laughs> um, but that's understandable. Yeah, that frustrates me so much when people talk that way about truly anything. But there's this new trend on the internet of being like, this is the correct and original version of this myth. And I'm like, one, I guarantee you it's not. Two, correct and original version of any myth is a wild statement to say. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, even with my relatively limited depth of research, like I am very aware that the versions that we have are just the first couple of versions written down or translated or whatever. It's not necessarily 
reflective of like the quote unquote like accurate like the more original ones that were you know verbally passed around yeah in my research one of the things i found is that like the first version of the iliad wasn't fully translated into english until like the 1600s i am now pulling this several years later from memory so (laughs) if that's incorrect the internet isn't allowed to yell at me about it even if they will it's from the 1600s and the Iliad in general and the Trojan War existed as a cultural touchstone before that. So like, what version were they talking about? It's hard to say. And it's definitely not the one that we're talking about now. Like, that's a completely different version. Yeah. And it's just, so I'm doing like, I hesitate to call it a re- an Iliad retelling because it's certainly not, but it's the characters from the Iliad. It's Achilles, Patroclus, and Helen is like my third book in the Dark Olympus series. And the amount of people that are like you're pairing up helen with who it's like well it's it's a reimagining we'll say helen deserved better than paris that's all i have to say honestly absolutely agree helen deserved so much better than paris and also trust me when i say that i did know this was the next one coming out because i am incredibly excited about it (laughs) like she deserves to have some fun history and mythology and literature has been so mean to her i hope she has so much fun and i personally can't wait to see it yeah that's kind of been my like so the first two books in the dark olympus series are neon gods which is hades and persephone and most of us know like that kind of myth of like you know the descent into the underworld and whatnot and then the second one is psyche and eros which is reminiscent of beauty and the beast or east of the sun west of the moon like fairy tales but there aren't that many happy endings in greek mythology and so like and there are many happy endings in your books. Yes. And and, and that's when, because I've, I've only just briefly talked about the third one, but people are already like having feelings about it. But it's like <laughs> in, in the Iliad, Achilles and Patroclus died terribly. So, you know, I don't deal in tragedies. I deal in happily ever afters. So there's going to be like plenty of incorrect endings by that measurement. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. So one of the things that you touched on, before we started recording was that fairy tales grow and change with society which is also true of greek myths like now we want hades to be hot and for it to be a consensual relationship and for it to be fun to watch and listen to rather than like other stories where it might have been like a cautionary tale or whatever else like culture has changed and we've changed what we want from these myths and the purpose that they're serving now is very different like you said before it's very similar to fairy tales they were cautionary tales or teaching tales that were intended to deliver a certain lesson and i feel like a lot of myths also reflect that like value system of like don't do this because it's going to piss off the gods and then you're going to have to you know be turned into medusa um or a gorgon rather but i feel like now it's more like how do we reclaim some of these tragedies or some of these myths i mean so many of them have rape or non-consensual stuff going on like how do we reclaim that and make them more feminist or just more consumable in a way that feels like the guilty pleasures but like without the guilt (laughs) exactly and part of it is looking at various stories and like A lot of fairy tales and Greek myths originally don't have a lot of depth. It's like, and then they come in and slay the bad guy because that is what they want to see. And just the way, like, 
when the novel developed, that changed so much how we talked about character and how, like, if you wrote a character that was the equivalent of an epic poem character, everybody would be like, this is the flattest character I've ever seen. What are you doing? And so you have to give them depth. You have to make them complex. Yeah. And it's like, I personally have never read the Iliad, but I like, have very complicated feelings about the odyssey like so many people like we don't have to talk many how many times i've read it um justice for penelope but uh, um but yeah but like odysseus is an awful person he's not sympathetic at all he's garbage most of the people in that version of that poem that you know we all consume is like you said they're very one or two dimensional in a way that you can't really get away with to tell a satisfying story in a novel format. I'm so glad you said that because I feel very much as the outcast, as somebody who prefers the Iliad to the Odyssey. I hate the Odyssey. I hate Odysseus so much. He sucks so bad. He's literally the worst every time. And like anything you look at that, I'm like, yeah, it's a great example of like an unreliable narrator in any other sense every time he says anything I'm like I don't believe you and also I wish you were dead yeah like in my head so I'm doing a sort of prequel novella with Medusa and Calypso because justice for justice for everybody who Odysseus touched (laughs) honestly um but in my head as far as I'm concerned like Penelope straight up poisoned his glass as soon as he took care of the suitors like I know that's not how it happened but like in my head that's how it needs to happen because he is the worst like just fingers crossed honestly (laughs) and that was honestly how in Madeline Miller's Circe obviously she touches on the Odyssey and Odysseus and her aftermath of him coming home and like how Penelope like what she did afterwards was really satisfying for me because I was like yeah he sucks he does Mm -hmm. suck Penelope deserves better yeah absolutely it's like you look at any character in Greek myth and almost every character you're like you had so much potential and it was ruined for you (laughs) and so it's just really fun to see like to take those and turn them into something else yeah and it's so like so in my series the gods aren't truly gods it's like titles that people hold and so there's always a hermes but it's not always the same person holding that title and so that's been really fun to kind of shine the light on different lenses of the various gods because if somebody takes over the zeus title like for example like the zeus in neon gods is the worst because zeus is the worst but later on when somebody else takes over that title it gives me the opportunity to kind of shift perspective a little bit and that maybe he's the worst but in a slightly different way that's reminiscent of different myths so it's been really fun because there's like like there's so many different variations of these they're not consistent in the depictions of the various gods it's like sometimes you know apollo is super cool and sometimes he's freaking terrible and all of them are like that it seems like Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about myths as something that change over time with whatever everybody wants from them, if you look at Hercules, like, there's the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where Hercules is basically like a big buff guy who can do whatever he wants, and then you give it a few years, and all of a sudden Disney is like, hey, what if Hercules was the underdog? Which is a wild character to make the underdog. 
Yeah, especially considering like his history and the stuff he does later on in life. Like <laughs> having him be like this golden boy, gentle soul was was a choice. Disney Hercules is a himbo in every sense of the word. And it's like of all of the Greek myth characters, you're like, this one? Are you sure? He's murdered like a lot of people. Yeah, and like his family. (laughs) I could be wrong. I think he might have murdered more than one of his families. Yeah, well, and and interestingly, like, because, you know, obviously I consumed that movie as a child so like did not have like the full context other than like hercules like the whatever the challenges or whatever he does i can't remember the term but then getting more into greek mythology later on in life and realizing that his wife in myth is megara and i'm like wait like he murdered her (laughs) like oh oh that makes the disney movie so much darker in that context (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. In every retelling, there's little Easter eggs of like what you can see and also what everybody valued at that time. And so you also have the fairy tale retellings series, which I'm forgetting the title of. Uh, The Wicked Villains. Okay, yes. I did finish Dark Olympus and immediately go into those books. I was like, I got to read more of these. (laughs) Um, But you have the Wicked Villains series as well. And it's like, also takes just a look at things where all of these stories have also been retold time and time and time again and everybody is pulling their favorite bits and what matters to them from it. I really enjoy retellings because it feels almost like speaking in a secret language of people who are aware and so them knowing like for example Beauty and the Beast most people know the myth they know the beats of the story and so being able to tell like my version of it while also giving enough nods to like the grim version that people are like, oh, it feels like an Easter egg. Like, oh my gosh, I get that reference. I understood that reference. And it, it's a really fun challenge for me to make these stories familiar enough that people are like, yes, I recognize that while also shifting perspective a little bit. Because like, obviously in the Wicked Villains, the villains are the ones who get the happily ever after less than the traditional heroes of the stories. Personally speaking, as someone who has gone really in-depth on Greek myths, I was so fascinated that Callisto is one of the characters in your book because I love her. And as soon as she was introduced, I was like, the the Pepe Silvia red string on a map, like, who will she end up with? Yeah. So when I... Because obviously... Greek myths are very incestuous just because Zeus banged everybody and everybody's Zeus's kid or half kid or whatever. So I, for this, obviously I wanted to not have incest feature heavily in this series. So (laughs) I kind of, for condensing purposes, have played with the family lines and stuff, which is why Demeter's daughters are not obviously related in like the actual myths, but it's like for simplicity's sake, this makes sense. I'd like to have this line through these various princesses or nymphs or what have you that weren't actually connected mythology wise but yeah Callisto is probably one of my favorite characters and I have plans for her and I'm very excited to like you know play that out over the course of the series um once we get there (laughs) I'm on the edge of my seat she's so angry I love her so much I actually my D&D character is named Callisto as well before I read your books this was now two years ago about (laughs) just because she was originally a bear and for people who are not familiar with the Callisto myth she does get turned into a bear at the end of it 
Is she the Ursa Major constellation, or am I mixing them up? Oh, I have no idea. I don't think so. Okay. I could be wrong, though. Honestly, I just know that, like, there are a bunch, like, it feels like when these tragedies, because I, I feel like if you're turned into a bear, it, you're, it's a tragedy, but um, so many of these Greek myths is like, oh, well, you know, they had to escape from Zeus or Hera or what have you, so they're a constellation now. It's like, that feels like a really crappy constellation prize. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, you look at them and you're like, hey... And then, in order to escape being viciously, brutally attacked, we turned you into a plant. And now you'll live forever. Isn't that great? And it's like, no, I would like to not have been viciously, brutally attacked. Right, right. And it's like, oh, yeah, the punishments slash saving feel identical. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, we're saving you. It's like, this feels like a punishment. This feels like I'm being punished because that person could not control themselves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it feels a little bit like a parent who just peeks in and is like, you're both yelling, so both of you are punished. And it's like, okay, hold on. This was not the situation you thought it was. And now this is just the easiest solution for you. Yes, yes. It's like, and everybody dies. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's a number of Greek myth, quote unquote, heroes that I feel very strongly against because of the way that they played it. Like Jason is the worst. Theseus really sucks. I'll probably die mad about Theseus, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like my first introduction to Theseus, besides the Greek myths books for kids that I had, uh, was in Percy Jackson, Ariadne later marries Dionysus. And that's like mentioned in the books. And I read that chapter and I was like, wait, hold on. Theseus did what? Excuse me? When I read back in my formative years, there was this author, Sarah Douglas, who did epic fantasy, and she has this series called The Troy Game that centers around the Minotaur and Theseus and Aradne and like their descendants and stuff. And it's, I mean, it's a sign of its time and that the content warnings are exceedingly hefty, but like it gripped me because it was like, wait, he left her on the beach? And like, oh my gosh, she deserves revenge. And so it's one of the few series that like the first book in particular, I hated everyone, like absolutely hated everyone and yet still picked up the next book and like ended up loving the series. But it's heavily based in that myth setup. Okay, okay, okay. I I feel like there is like a cycle of which Greek myth gets so much attention in the public eye. And we had like Hades and Persephone, which got a whole lot of perce- attention, etc. which I personally love, have a Hades and Persephone tattoo. I would like this to continue. <laughs> um, but then now it's Orpheus and Eurydice, which I'm also very excited about. But I would love Theseus and Ariadne to come back into the center and just be talked about a little more. Just, I would love to see what people do with that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about the Orpheus and Eurydice. And honestly, I blame Hades Town because that, like, I had no intention of doing Orpheus and Eurydice, but I was listening to that soundtrack nonstop while planning the series. And I was like, why well, have to? And so, book five is Orpheus, Eurydice, and Charon. Yeah. And so it's, because uh, I was like, well, this is like the descent into the underworld and like the trying to take them out of it. But obviously it's not going to work out because they're quite happy there. So I'm really excited to play with those elements because that myth has so many different angles you could look at it from like, oh, why did she call out? Well, maybe she decided she didn't want to go with him. Like maybe she decided he sucked and wasn't there when she needed him. 
<laughs> which I don't necessarily like, you know, I, I like the epic love story and that the, he just faltered in the moment, the last moment. Yeah, I think especially that myth, it's so interesting to look at because if you look at it from Eurydice's point of view, there's so many different things that could be going on. And personally speaking, I'm always a fan in books and series when somebody comes back from the dead and doesn't want to be back from the dead. And they're like, I I was at rest and now you brought me back and I have to do all of this stuff again. And I would love something that had a little bit of that going on. Like you just, it sounds like so much work. Yeah. And that's like, especially with why she died and what she was trying to escape. Like, why would you want to return to that? It's a really interesting dynamic to play with because I feel like so often when that myth is told, it's such a heavy focus on him. And like, he wasn't there. So he went through this thing and he did these trials and he did this crazy wild thing and managed to make it to the underworld and convince Hades to like release her spirit. And then he turned back. Whereas like focusing on it from her perspective, like you said, gives so many different options to like mess around with from a storytelling perspective. The original grand romantic gesture that didn't work out. Yes. Yes. Cause he failed. Like he just, he, he had that doubt and he turned when he was right there and it's like Lot's wife from the old Testament kind of thing, which is an interesting like parallel that I don't know if it quite works out, but it, that's what it always makes me think of. It's like you look at any myth and you're like, this ends happily. And then the myths are like, give it two years. And then you come back and you're like, and now it has all gone to shit. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, too, is that in so many of them, there's that beat of like, wow, like they're, you know, like Medea, like they're married. It's going to be fine. And it's like, just kidding. Now she's going to murder their kids like because, you know, he's awful. And there's always that twist at the ending that's just like, no, just kidding. You almost had that happily ever after. And now... I'm going to serve you tragedy instead, which I recognize is very reminiscent of like the entire culture of the myths. But as a person who's always loved romance and now writes romance, I'm like, what if we just like smudge that tragedy out and like stuck with the happily ever after? Well, I think that's also part of what makes romance retellings of Greek myths so interesting, specifically yours, because you have the template of what the Greek myth looks like. And then you also have the template of what a romance book looks like. And so people who are familiar with both understand both. They're like, and then a turn will come. And then by the end of the book, they will be happy or at least happy for now. And like, we'll see what's going on. And you have to try to reconcile the two. So you're like, okay, so in one of these, I know we get a happy ending. And in the other one, we don't at all. So what's going to happen here? And it's really fun. I feel like we'll see more in some of the other books because in Neon Gods, there was no, never any real doubt that they were like some romance novels, I think really pull off. Like, how can this actually work? How will they manage to be together? They're diametrically opposed. And even though, you know, it's a romance and you know, the ending, you still doubt, which is like a testament to craft, honestly. But I feel like with the Greek myths, once I start moving away from the ones that have the more traditional-ish happily ever after, it's like Wicked Beauty, the third one. There was a moment in there where I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off because <laughs> I don't know how they can be happy when one of them getting what they want means the other ones don't. And like, how do you reconcile that? And so it's a very interesting puzzle to work through from the craft angle, but also as a reader, because it's like... I'm assured that they're going to stick the landing and everyone's going to be happy. 
But what if they don't? <laughs> yeah, personally, I love the myths that are less well-known and less well-fraud. So I've read the Eros and Psyche book. I loved it a lot. Um, but I'm very excited to see what everybody else says because I personally love Eros and Psyche and I went into it. Uh, my partner has a rule that I'm not allowed to guess what happens in books because I'm very often right. I was reading Neon Gods while Z read Electric Idol. And I was like, what if this happens with these characters? And my partner was like, you absolutely cannot guess anything else. You have too much background information right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really interested to see, because um, like RM Virtues is an author who is doing Greek mythology retellings. And it's very interesting to, the first book is Drag Me Up, which is Hades and Persephone. And it's very, very interesting to see the different couples and how he's handling some of them in a different way than I am. And like that perspective. And it's just, it delights me to no end because we're working with the same source material, but we're bringing our different tastes and feelings and history to it. And so it's changing some of the pairings and whatnot. And so it geeks me out so hard. <laughs> yeah. Changing the pairings. And I mean, for your books, we also have what kinks are these specific people into? <laughs> Yes. Yes. Psyche and Eros was a little less like overtly kinky, but we get back to it in book four, like more formally, I guess I should say, which book four is Cassandra and Apollo. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I feel like the high heat lends well to Greek myths because even though they didn't get into the details of it, they were very sexy. <laughs> yeah. Like any class or anything that you take on Greek myths, it's like, and then these. 17 people banged and you're like okay interesting yeah. you were like i am 11 this is the first i'm hearing about this tell me more i know i'm like what do you mean zeus turned himself into a bull a what <laughs> like oh yeah it's kind of funny that we consume these myths usually relatively young because some of the content it's like wait what <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite books to recommend to anybody buying books for children is the Dallaire's Book of Greek Myths, because it's just such a classic. It, the, it's beautifully done. The cover is beautiful. I still have my copy from when I was a child, which is now held together with like duct tape and wishful thinking. <laughs> and anytime I look into it, I'm like, oh, but they do have... Even then, you can't just skip over some of these things. It is still alluded to, even if it's like, he came down to her in a golden shower, and then a baby was born. And you're like, huh, interesting. Yeah, something about a swan. I don't, yeah, it's really funny, because I feel like some of that stuff, like, obviously flew right over my head. And then you read them again, once you have a little more, like, life experience, and you're like, wait, what <laughs> especially with the Zeus tales and like the various forms that he takes and I'm like I want to know where that came from like the golden shower specifically is very interesting to me because I, I can sort of understand like the animals I guess in theory but like the golden shower was such a random way to go about his uh seduction <laughs> it's the purity culture equivalent of People being like, well, if you even hold hands with a boy, you'll get pregnant. If you even, even if we lock you by yourself in a room, Zeus will find a way to get to you. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. And I, I do wonder how many people 
at the time when the myths were taken more, you know, like stringently, were like, oh, well, this baby is definitely Zeus's. I don't know how I got pregnant while you were away at war. That's so strange. <laughs> Golden shower. <laughs> yeah, there's this really interesting, uh, I think it's Euripides Bacchae, something like that, where part of the plot is that all of Dionysus's mother's sisters don't believe that Dionysus was fathered by Zeus. They're all like, you're lying. And this is not true, et cetera, et cetera. So of course Dionysus comes back and is like, I am going to mess up your whole thing right now. I'm just going to completely destroy everything you stand for. And of course does. But (laughs) part of that is because they were like, "Mm, your son is not a god, I think, actually. (laughs) And of course, the one time that, yes, in fact, in fact, he was. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there was some of that going on. You don't have 12,000 stories of people being like, and I am the child of Zeus. And it's like, really? Always Zeus? None of the other ones? Yeah, it it, honestly, because I'm a little fuzzy on some of the lesser known myths. And so I've been doing research as I write these books just to make sure that the Easter eggs I'm leaving are appropriate. Or at least that people who are familiar with them will kind of like see the callbacks. And I didn't realize some of the Zeus's children. So I was like, wait, I thought you were really like somebody else's kid. But it's all Zeus all the time. I love especially the ones that are like, Zeus is his father. Also, this king is his father. And it's like, okay, all of them are his father. Sure. And they're all different people? Question mark. Yeah, it's uh, the, the genealogy of a lot of these myths. I mapped it out at one point. I was like, no, this is not going to work. (laughs) (laughs) They're all related. They're all procreating with the people that they're related to. And it makes sense pantheon wise. But when you get into the weeds of storytelling, we're just going to gloss past that. Yeah. And then you have to have the moments of like, this title is passed down to different people. So you have the king who is also Zeus, obviously. So then they can be the same person without being related to everyone. Yeah, yeah, that was... Honestly, the reason I created the title system is because I have a Hades in my Wicked Villains series and Dark Olympus and Wicked Villains happen in the same universe. And so I was like, wait... Okay, this is good to know. Yeah, and I was like, how do I... How do I have two Hades? Like, how would that make sense? Like, because that's... You know, I have the learn my lesson Hades is from Olympus. So like, how does that make sense? Like, how do I reconcile this without like totally erasing what I've already written? And um, so the title system sort of arose as a result of that in that there's always a Hades, but he's not always the same Hades. And... Which has caused no amount of confusion to people. They're like, wait, but Hades is happy with Hercules and Meg. What? And it's like, no, no, no. Different Hades. Totally different. Connected, yes, but not the same person. But it's been such a fun world building element to be like, okay, well, if they're titles and not all of them are hereditary, like, how do they get these titles? Like, how do I make those requirements reflect the deity in the myth? And so, like, for example, Ares, you become Ares by winning a tournament essentially of like three trials of like martial combat and whatnot and so that was kind of fun to like build in things that i like to reflect like Ares being the god of war as how they acquire that title 
Yeah, no, that makes so so much sense. And personally, I have found it incredibly fascinating as I go through everything. Like I said, I finished The Dark Olympus and then went back to The Wicked Villains and did not read them in order. I started with the Ursula Ariel Eric one <laughs> because I was like, this is exactly what I want from a book, actually. <laughs> and I got into it and I was like, I think this is the same universe um, and had to like connect all of the dots immediately. Yeah. It's funny because you are not alone in starting wicked villains. Like wherever I've never had a series where people are just like, no, nah, I just read book three or I started <laughs> book three. And then like I read book six and now I'm reading book one. And, and it's fascinating to me because I am a linear reader. And so I'm like, you can just do that. I mean, ob obviously it's working out, but it, it cracks me up. Um, that that series in particular people definitely pick and choose where they start and which ones they even read at all yeah I feel like because it's fairy tales and villains etc etc people look at it and they're like I want to know about my favorites actually but yes romance is a genre that I feel like that can happen with yeah yeah and because I'm not the most detail-oriented person at times I'll like buy a book and start reading it and be like wait a minute wait a minute there are couples in here they must have books and then I invariably have to pause and go buy those couples books and see how they got together before I can continue on with the story I originally purchased so well done romance writers <laughs> you got me every time yeah, I think romance is similarly to the Greek myth, such a perfect thing for those Easter eggs because you look at them and you're like, oh, what's going to go on with this person? And then the romance author is like, don't worry, I've got you. I've already thought about what will go on with this person. And in fact, it's the next book. Here you go. And you're like, oh, great. Yeah, it's it's always such a fun payoff reading the earlier books in the series to be like, all right, who are you going to pair with who? And Usually I can guess, but there are authors that always surprise me and it delights me to no end just because obviously I'm very familiar with writing romance. And so similar to Greek myths, I'm sure with you, you can sort of guess what direction people are going to go with or how they're going to twist myths or what. So to have, be surprised is like, is just delightful. Yes, I especially love it. So I recently read a Marvelous Light by Freya Marsk, which is a fantasy romance or romance fantasy might be more accurate um, because it does fall more in the fantasy genre. But the next book is following the conventions of a romance novel. And I was like, who is going to be the main person? And every time she tweets about anything, I'm like, Freya, you're literally killing me here. I have to know. Oh, I need to read that book, obviously. Uh, what was the title it, again? <laughs> it's called A Marvelous Light. It is about two queer Edwardian magicians. Um, it does, like I said, lean a little more fantasy than romance, but it does follow romance pretty well. I love fantasy and I love romance. And there's quite a bit of fantasy romance, especially in the indie circles these days. But I want more. I always want more because it's like my favorite thing in the world. So I am very happy to read this book. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every time, like over the pandemic, romance is one of the things that I've gotten much more into because sometimes I'm like, you know what? I actually just need to know everything's going to be okay. And there are a few fantasy books I've read that weren't marketed as romance, but they definitely were. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I know where this is going. Yeah, because I keep having to remind myself because I just read The Bone Shard Daughter, which, you know, is fantasy and epic and 
creates these conundrums, like these moral conundrums that I'm like, I don't know how they're going to be okay. And I'm very stressed out. And then of course, it's part of a duology. And so I I don't know how they're going to be okay. And I'm Mm -hmm, kind of stressed mm -hmm. out about the next book. (laughs) That's absolutely correct. So yes, we seem to be out of time, which uh, goes wonderfully into us saying where people can find things now that we've talked about books that they should find. Um, Do you want to go first? Sure. You can find me at katierobert.com. It's Katie with two E's, Robert with no S. And all my social media handles are Katie underscore Robert spelled that same way. Wonderful. So uh, thank you. You can find me, Catherine, at uh, I guess portersquarebooks.com if you want to buy things from me or on social media at Catherine NZR. I am on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok like that. I talk about mainly books, but not always like this. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> and so another chapter comes to a close. I agree, I think Hercules is a himbo, at least the Disney version. The mythological version, not so much. Thank you all so much for listening. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. We're on pretty much everything, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, etc. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. If you're looking for more places to follow or to keep up with us, there are a bunch of links in our description box, including to our Patreon page. You can find our new mini episode project for independent booksellers. If you're an independent bookseller listening, please go check out that form and let me shamelessly promote all your favorite books. And you can find links to places like Catherine's Bookstore so that you can go and support. Stay tuned. We'll be back in two more weeks with one of my favorite comic book store owners discussing indigenous representation. Can you figure out what bookstore I'm talking about? Until then, have fun and happy reading.